record button. All right, I hit record on my side too. Awesome. All right, let's clap. Three, two, one. Perfect. Right. Ready to start, right? Yep. Okay. Hello, hello. Welcome to Two Seamer, the baseball podcast brought to you by Jimmy Shin and Oliver Jung. Hey, Oliver, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you are the co-host of the show, so we will be seeing you very often. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. Do you think... Do you think people would wonder why we titled our show Two Seamer? Should do you think we should maybe explain that? Or I guess I should. Well, it is a baseball show, so we can start there. That is true. Um I titled it Two Seamer because we wanted to give the feeling that we're getting straight down straight down Broadway to the topic, but with our own little twist and cuts of it. And also there's two of us. So I thought that was a pretty fun wordplay as well. Yeah, a little double entendre. Exactly. That's all there was to it. All right. Speaking of getting right to it, let's get right to it. The last night, Red Sox played against the White Sox and lost in dramatic fashion. Or White Sox won in a dramatic fashion. Yeah, well, not for you, Jimmy. Uh, No, I'm I'm a huge Red Sox fan. And that was pretty unfortunate to watch, but... From a third-party perspective, Oliver, what you what you think of it? Well, being a Yankee fan, I suppose I'm not exactly the impartial party you should be bringing in here. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I mean, this has been a lot of people have already talked about this, but it's hard to think of a more severe World Series hangover. Um, mm. I mean, the starters were an issue to start the season. Uh, now, all of a sudden, the bullpen. I guess not the bullpen in general, but this was a bad blown save from Brazier, uh, giving yeah. up three runs in the bottom of the ninth to a very weak White Sox team uh, is not the mark of defending champions. And you know, no, you, no, it's not. I mean, you, probably Red Sox fans and the team themselves were probably hoping, you know, once the calendar flips to May, uh, maybe they go on a little run here, uh, put a mm. tough first month behind them. And this is pretty much the exact opposite of that. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, it's kind of hard to say more, like anything else that hasn't already been said about the Red Sox. It's just kind of befuddling right now. And the greatest mystery comes back up tonight, right? I mean, Chris Sale's on the mound, and what's up with him? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on with Chris Sale. He's re- he's repeatedly said in interviews that he's never been like this before, and he's pitching quote-unquote horribly um we have seen some improvements from him though because at first we saw him pitch in i mean okay aside from obviously blowing up we saw him change his tactics a little bit became more of a contact pitcher only striking out one allowing some ground balls of fly balls to get his outs but chris sale has a bit of a temper um he, he gets pretty competitive and you see him trying to get the strikeouts, and it's not working. His slider is not curving as per usual. It's going straight right down the middle, easy for batters to hit. It's not that mystical slider that we were all used to seeing last season, and I feel like that's what's cutting it for him. But, yeah, I really don't know what's up with him. He's 0-5. He's yet to have a single victory this season with a 6.30 ERA. I can't think of any ace 
in the league right now who has a worse ERA than Chris Sale? Uh, Corey Kluber Did- would like to have a word with you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but I mean, seriously, it's it is bizarre. I mean, strikeouts are way down. He's walking a lot more guys. He's giving up more home runs. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it just I mean, I can't think of a single explanation for this other than the fact that just they pitched his arm off last year. This is a guy who has a history of durability, but at the same time, it's one of those it's one of those things I feel like where if you've been that durable for that long uh, and he did have injury problems earlier in his career, um, you know, I think last year having him pitch all the way through the postseason to the point that he was even, you know, pulling a bum gardener and closing out the, the clinching game of the world series. I mean, that's got to take a toll on a guy who just turned 30. Um, I mean, I just, I just think he's out of gas. Uh, what the solution to that is, I don't know. Like, whether if a DL stint would solve that. Um, but right now, I just, yeah. I doubt it. Yeah, I mean. Th- I doubt it only you because. Do? You know, what's the solution? Maybe you, sh- maybe you should try to reconfigure the game. Because you see people like Zach Greinke, he's, he's doing everything he can, I feel like, to adapt to the game. He's... Th- what we thought was a fluke last season, just a funny funny act from him, his EFAS pitch, is starting to come back more often than not. And I feel like some people just see that as a weird stint. Just a, another arsenal that Zach Granke has just because he's such a such an odd guy. But I see him as bringing the EFAS pitch as adapting to the game. And maybe Chris Sale has just got to completely accept that a slider, fastball, and a changeup is less than what he needs to stay on top of his game in an evolving game of baseball. I mean, you, you might be right. Yeah, but I, but I mean, you, you might be right. But if that's the case, then the Red Sox are in a world of trouble. They just signed this guy to a long-term extension. Uh, and I understand what you're saying with Granky. That makes sense. And, you know, every pitcher needs mm-hmm. to adapt as their physical, uh, at, their kind of physical skills decline as they, like Chris Sale has, they turn 30. Uh, they can't throw as hard as they used to. Uh, their arsenal, yeah, just kind of changes in terms of its nuance, like you were saying. Um, but that's the thing. Mm-hmm. If Chris Sale is now transitioning into the Grinky portion of his career, uh, Zach Grinky is no longer a World Series caliber ace. Uh, so, no, you know, th- that's just not the guy the Red Sox are paying for. That's not the guy the Red Sox need. So I think even if he can manage to, you know, kind of, readjust his game that's still a big problem for the Red Sox what they need is Chris Sale the the Chris Sale of old back and I just right now yeah. it's just, there are no signs of that happening that's true but just going off on the whole deal stint because you did say maybe a deal stint is what Chris Sale definitely maybe. needs uh, we're going to talk about Ryu later on but one of the key factors from for Ryu getting as great as he is right now uh, he revealed in an interview that during his huge and often DL stints, uh, he learned a cutter from Kelly Jansen. Mm-hmm. And and he told me that, well, he didn't tell me, <laughs> he told the interviewers that that's what really helped him improve his game and stay on top of um, him being one of the greatest, pit- not greatest, but a great pitcher in the league right now. And he attributed it all to his cutter. So I feel like maybe Chris Sale could really work on himself during the DL stint, find a new arsenal that no one can figure out. Ryu's done it, 
Kershaw has done that with his slider too, hasn't he? He hasn't had a slider before, and then yeah. Um, well, maybe not a DL. Stint, yeah, I mean, but he figured out a slider. Yeah, I mean, it's fair. Kershaw's definitely another one of those guys who he doesn't throw as hard as he used to. Uh, so he's you know he always had that big twelve to six breaking ball. Uh, so he's come to kind of rely mm. on his off-speed stuff a little more. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, Kershaw is another guy where uh, Sale at his best is kind of a pure power pitcher, just but the best that there is in the game. Uh, Kershaw, I never right. really saw as a power pitcher. He was kind of a, a surgeon on the mound, you know. He Yeah, he's like yeah, a Da Vinci. He could, th- he could throw the ball hard, <laughs> um, not as hard as he used to be able to but even when he was young he could throw the ball hard but it wasn't really about the velocity it was about the location about the movement um right. and not to say that chris sale you know wasn't able to paint corners or anything like that but his stuff was just you know it was really just about when he needed to he could really you know get that rising fastball up it, up in your grill uh add some extra mustard to it late in games ratchet it up close to triple figures um and I just, you know, obviously yeah, his fastball right now is in the low 90s. It's just unheard of for him. So, Yeah, that's what really surprised me up with Chris Sale last season and the season before that is his fastball went anywhere from 92, 94, and then suddenly hitting 101. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> his, his yeah, fast- I mean that's, that's the Verlander yeah. thing, right? I mean, Justin Verlander's been famous for that for years now for for being able exactly. to you know start the game out at around like 92 to 94 and then you know all of a sudden if he's in the seventh or eighth inning all of a sudden he's throwing five miles an hour harder which is crazy but um you know that's mm. and that's something chris sale was able to do at his best too but the problem now is that it seems like he's throwing as hard as he can right out of the gate and it's still only getting up there at like 92 it's just i mean yeah. you know i suppose People always talk about dead arm, um, and this has to be one of those cases because, I mean, unless he has a significant injury, which then I don't understand why he's pitching through that. Um, but, you know, dead arm's a tricky thing. No one really knows how long it lasts, why it comes it around. Um, but, you know, he, I guess this this whole long discussion is, at the end of the day, for me, I think all you can do as the Red Sox and as a Red Sox fan is kind of just <laughs> – cross your fingers and hope because yeah it's just it's hard to comprehend what's <laughs> happening it really is um but speaking of the red Sox, uh we can talk about the al east next because the rays are at the top of the table i don't think anyone expected this at the yeah, beginning right. of the season speaking of things for the that, race to yeah, be at the top going no one, into may no one has any clue what's going on there either <laughs> yeah no uh what do you what do you attribute to the success of the Rays this season, Oliver? I mean, to me, I think it's a matter of, you know, the Rays' success is more about the Yankees and Red Sox's uh, lack of success, right? I mean, the Red Sox just with kind of their hangover and the Yankees with all their injuries. Um, and then I think that's just the Rays being on top right now is just a reflection of who the Rays are because the Rays won, I believe, 90 games last year. They would have won pretty much every other division of baseball outside the AL East, and they missed the playoffs altogether just because they played in a division with two 100-win teams. Um, so with the Rays, they've always been good. They got even better over the offseason, and I think that late-season trade um, that sent Chris Archer to Pittsburgh uh, 
and brought Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now to Tampa. That was a huge deal, um, and I think it made it made them significantly better uh, both in the lineup and on the mound. So I think this is just the Rays doing their thing. Uh, it's people might say it's a shock, and to be sure, it is. You know, on paper, but in truth, this is just a good team playing up to their capabilities. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you think about it, Tampa Bay Rays does have an ace, Blake Snell, who definitely deserved a Cy Young Award last season, I thought, but was robbed of it. And not only that, they have some solid hitters. It's it's very team-friendly. I can't. I don't see anyone as being like a huge superstar. And they have enough young, young blood in there. Brandon Lowe has... Uh, been leaving impacts left and right on the team and carrying it forward. I thought that was pretty great. Um, but this, but as you mentioned, the Yankees roster is completely down. This is not the same team that started yeah. the season. We're talking about Jacoby Ellsbury, who's out indefinitely. Is it still I mean, indefinitely? Yeah, he's been out indefinitely since like the beginning of last season. So, I mean, Ellsbury at this point, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it seems like his baseball career is over. Uh, I don't really understand <laughs> what his deal is. I don't think any Yankee fan really knows what his deal is. Um, but I think what I don't know, mm. saying his baseball career is over might is probably hyperbole, but I think his time with the Yankees is, is over despite all the time left on his contract. Um, but I mean, right. obviously there have been a bunch of big injuries too. I mean, Severino, Patances and Duhar, mm. uh, Tulowitzki, Judge, judge absolutely uh yeah how could i forget about judge um so yeah i mean with the problem with the yankees i for me right now is not the injuries in and of themselves because you know if they were all minor injuries you could be like you know it's just a matter of time uh until the team gets healthy but these are all pretty significant injuries um uh, with severino it's like a significant shoulder strain um which and I, I believe it's the same with Patances. And with pitchers and shoulders, uh, it's always tough. Uh, the, if they're out for this long, you, it really is a problem where you could see it bothering them throughout the entire season. So there's no guarantee that you're going to get Severino and Patances back at 100% at any point in the year. Uh, and, and Duhar probably needs season-ending surgery, but he's trying to play through it. Um, so obviously that's going to be an issue too. Uh, judge's oblique. That's never yeah, good. You know, judge's oblique was described as a pretty significant strain. Uh, and if you watch the play in which the swing in which he heard it, you could clearly see he was in a lot of pain. Uh, you know, obviously judge isn't the kind of guy to ham up an injury. Uh, it was clearly really bothering him right. again. That's something where every single time he takes a swing, he needs to use that muscle. So, um, you know, that's another concern. Who knows if he's who knows when he's going to be back at 100 percent. So then all of a sudden you've got uh, arguably. So definitely your biggest piece in the rotation, your biggest piece in your lineup and arguably one of the like the biggest piece in your bullpen. All of them have their statuses up in the air in May for the rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a big problem. You can never see yeah, them again. I mean, and even if you do see them, they might be a shell of who they should be. Uh, so I think, I don't know, like, and this is, you can chalk this up to an early season overreaction, but uh, who knows? I can see Tampa Bay winning the division. I mean, why not? 
they're a good team. Yeah, why not? You sound a little pessimistic about everyone being so injured, but even for a team that has all of its first team on the DL, or the IL as they call right. it now, right? Uh, they're still sitting on second, and they're playing above 500 baseball. They're not that far away from being on top of the table, are they? No, I mean, I yeah, they're not far it, off. I think it's really surprising, and... Well, maybe it's not surprising that what the point I want to argue is maybe the Yankees were filled with guys that were just not that great anymore, but had years left in their contract, so they had to play him. And what they needed was a younger team, and everyone knew that. And getting people, okay, Andujar, Judge, Severino, they're definitely not in the bunch that I'm talking about. But people like Jacoby Ellsbury, you, you know, even if he was healthy. You wouldn't really know right. what to do. Yeah, with him, no, I mean, Ellsbury right? certainly. Yeah, Ellsbury certainly not a big miss right now. It's the other guys, um, but I mean, yeah, like you were saying, but the Yankees are missing their top young guys in the field. I mean, obviously, you still got Glaber Torres out there uh, to a certain degree, like Sanchez. I suppose you can still consider a young building core piece. But yeah. that's the thing; these the guys that are replacing the injured are not, you know. The, with the exception of Clint Frazier, who's also on the DL or IL, um, <laughs> you know, it's not like these injuries have really opened the door for a top prospect who is getting shut out otherwise. So I don't think this is even like a, an instance in which you give younger guys a chance. Like guys like Gio Urshela, like he's a good player. I like him, but he's not, uh, he's arguably not a major league starter and certainly not a starter on a, on a contending team. Um, you know, and, and it's great they're playing above their ability right now, and that's full credit to the Yankees and probably uh, credit to Aaron Boone in terms of, you know, I think this this run kind of shows that he might be a much better manager than people gave him credit for. Um, but having said that, the Yankees, and I mean, with the Red Sox, it's the same thing, so you would know this is a Red Sox fan. It's like, it's World Series or bust, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. and you know, the Yankees re- rebuild is long over this is full contention mode and you know for the roster to be in the state it is right now with so many you know long term as in rest of the season question marks um it just doesn't look like it just doesn't look like a championship run is materializing this year I mean again it's way early uh we're barely a month into the season this could end up being way off in a few months time but I just think with the injuries, with the types of injuries uh, that are plaguing the roster right now, it does, I think it's, it does raise some legitimate questions about this entire season for the Yankees. Yeah. Whether you guys will play October baseball, it's really up in the air now. Yeah. I mean, even, and even if they do get October baseball, which I don't think is a stretch, like I could see the Yankees grabbing a wild card, winning the division. I mean, I think it wouldn't be on unreasonable to say it's a three-horse race for the division right now as long as the Rays keep it up and assuming the Sox rebound which I think is a safe bet to what degree they rebound I don't know but you know definitely playoff baseball is not out of the question at all but the question is how far will they go once they're in October and I just don't see a depleted Yankee team oh we I don't even think we mentioned Stanton on that list of IL guys we didn't we didn't mention John Carlos yes there you go I mean so a depleted Yankee team uh against a team like Houston 
I, I just don't I just don't see them getting past the Astros. You know, I mean, definitely not. But I will say, Oliver, uh, as a Red Sox fan, looking at you talking about the Yankees and how they're injured and how they might not might not make playoff baseball. Um, I think it's good, at least that you have an excuse that you guys have injured people <laughs> on your uh, roster. And that's why you can't you guys might not make it to October. Whereas for the Red Sox, we have no excuses. Everyone's here. Everyone's just not performing. Uh, so it's a tough time to be a Yaki way. Um, next topic, since, since we're talking about October baseball and who's leading the standings, uh, Minnesota Twins are leading the AL Central. Did you expect this? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> Neither did I. Also, also did I. side note, th- it's a tough time to be a Yaki way. Every other baseball fan, every other non-Red Sox fan in the world just puked in their mouth a little bit for you saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a Boston thing. I mean, I think definitely the Twins, I mean, I don't think anyone expected that. Um, I think it's not necessarily a huge surprise uh, given the fact that, you know, that's the AL Central is probably, not probably, almost certainly the, the weakest division in baseball. So, you know, you could say that really anyone, anyone could have potentially risen to the top there. But they are nineteen and ten. So nineteen and ten is uh, only the Dodgers, Cardinals, Dodgers, Cardinals, and the Rays. So so only Tampa, L.A., and St. Louis has a better record than Minnesota right now, and that is surprising. That is surprising. But if you think about it on a on a minuscule aspect, we're talking about Jake Odorizzi. Who's actually pitching pretty well this season, right? I, I'm pulling up his stat right now. Yeah, I mean, their their entire pitching staff has been nothing spectacular, but remarkably solid. I mean, you got guys like Oda Rizzi, Pineda, who is a Yankee fan. I hate, but you know, he's kind of turned he's he's kind of turning it around with a second chance in Minnesota. Um actually wow, <laughs> I did not know this. I he must have <laughs> last time I checked his stats, he was doing pretty well. But he must okay. So he got he got he's gotten blown up in a couple starts, but he's been fairly solid throughout. Um, his ERA is in the sixes though, so I guess I can't really say that. But um, Kyle Gibson is another pretty solid piece. Yeah, it's true. Um, and obviously Jose Barrios uh, was a huge <laughs> was Chris prospect Sales. coming out of their system, and he is kind of like taking the reins as the ace of that staff. Uh, and his numbers are actually solid. ERA under three. He's five and one on the season. WHIP under one. Um, and you know, they've got a fairly, su- they've had an effective bullpen. Uh, you know, it, it's one, it's actually, interestingly enough, you could kind of draw a comparison between the twins and the rays in the sense that, like you said, there isn't necessarily a superstar you could pick out of this team, but they they are just playing really well as a unit. That's true. Uh, wouldn't you say Nelson Cruz is a superstar? Though I mean he is thirty eight. I mean he's a superstar. <laughs> he's a superstar name. Uh, whether he actually still provides superstar level production, I don't know. I mean he is hitting three hundred this yeah. year. Um, but you know only like five home runs. It's not necessarily the Nelson Cruz power output that you would expect. But I mean, granted, yeah, he's he's a good piece. Uh, Byron, Byron Buxton is like another he, he, like he was an uber prospect when he came mm-hmm. up. Um, you know, and he's he might be finally putting it together. 
Uh, Max Kepler has been decent. Eddie Rosario is obviously good. Uh, CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, those are two guys who've kind of been, you know, solid throughout their major league careers, but they were cast offs this past offseason. Definitely. You know, Jorge Polanco. These are all guys who don't jump off at the page or jump jump off of the page at you, but they're all turning in very respectable campaigns. Uh, whether this means that they're just punching above their weight and they'll come crashing back to earth sooner rather than later, uh, that's entirely possible too. But That's a great point because I'm looking yeah. at the roster now, and these are people that I w- would definitely have picked up on my fantasy team as not a complete sleeper, but someone I would definitely trust to hold their position and provide value for me. Because they're not first, second round draft pick people, but people like Marvin Gonzalez can play anywhere. He has all the utility in the world. And to be fair, he did have a pretty poor season last season uh, with his batting average all the way down to uh, like the 200s. But the, you got to remember the season before that, he was hitting almost 300 baseball and could fit in anywhere. Byron Buxton has always uh, pro- proven that he has the speed of Billy Hamilton, really. And it has shown completely great defensive plays. This is a team, just as you said, that doesn't have a standout name, but is filled with solid core members. Maybe we shouldn't even be too surprised that the Twins are leading the Central. Yeah, no, possibly not. Especially, again, given the state of that division in terms of the other teams competing. Um, And, you know, with the Twins for a long time, their core of prospects coming up was Barrios, Buxton and Miguel Sano, who's on his way back uh, from an injury. And he has prodigious power. So I think it's a matter of if Buxton is finally putting it all together, uh, Barrios has been putting it together for a couple years now. Uh, and if Sano can really, you know, for as long as he's been up in the big leagues, he's had a massive strikeout problem. The pop's been there, uh, but, you know, crazy number of strikeouts, uh, obviously a liability in the field uh but you know Mm. if he i don't know if the fielding issues are ever going to go away but if he can become a little less of an all-or-nothing hitter at the plate and become more of a constant reliable lineup fixture then all of a sudden you know that that twins batting order it's you know you can't scoff at that they can do some damage so (laughs) yeah it's definitely a dangerous lineup we're talking about people who are leading the table. How about we talk about teams that are most likely to fail? These are these are teams that are definitely already a seller at the uh, trade deadline. Who are you look? Who are we looking at, Oliver? I mean, well, there. Well, depends. Are we talking about the surprises or the non-surprises? Because <laughs> we, you know, we knew the Marlins sucked. We we knew the Orioles sucked. Okay. And, Nothing we've seen this season has done anything uh, to change that initial opinion, um, with the exception of Caleb, Caleb no. Smith, I suppose, for the Marlins, as you would know very well. As He's definitely going to get traded. Yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, I mean... I don't think anyone really surprises me at the I mean, bottom of the oh, table, oh, Oliver. Oh, come on. Uh, maybe San Francisco. Uh, no, dude, look at huh? the AL West. You got Oakland in the cellar of the AL West. That, to me, is the biggest surprise. Yeah. Oakland, they... Really? Dude, Oakland was a playoff team last year. 
you're you're not surprised to find yeah, them in last behind the Angels? No. Because this is Oakland. I mean, fair. <laughs> um, Oakland is the team that would almost make it to the World Series one season then completely bomb the next season for no yeah, apparent well, reason aside I mean, from the well, fact that they don't have the yeah, money. Yeah, I mean, see, that was always the... <laughs> That was always the kind of hitch with the A's, right? But the thing is that this isn't like the Moneyball years where they had a great year and then all of a sudden they, they uh, you know, reverted to a small market mentality and traded all their best players. Like, the best players are still there. There's no one Oakland really lost from their playoff run last year. You know, you still, you still got Chris Davis, who's one of the best power hitters in the game and definitely one of the most consistent. Matt Chapman is an all-around kind of stud at third base um i mean mm-hmm. and obviously blake trying emerged last year as one of the best closers in the game uh with relievers year to year it's always volatile but he looks like he's pretty solid this year as well um they are missing sean Manea. yeah i mean they were missing Manea a lot of last season too um but yeah i mean you know, they're yeah, they're missing Manea. Uh, they were hoping their big prospect, Jesus Lusardo, they were hoping that they would break camp with him, and he had a shoulder problem. He's been shut down since the start, since spring training. I mean, and, and obviously, if they had those two guys, that would be a huge help because right now their biggest problem is their pitching. I mean, their staff ace is Mike Fires, uh, who I don't exactly know what his numbers are, but I'm pretty sure he has, a like, a horrific ERA. Um I saw him pitch uh, against the Red Sox recently, and he, well, for that game at least, he definitely didn't have his stuff. His balls were all over the place. He had zero control, and the Red Sox took completely, complete uh, advantage of over that. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, so Mike Fires, yeah, Mike Fires has an ERA of 6.81, right? That's that's just not what you want. Um, you know, and... They, they've had Frankie Montes, who's been a nice little surprise. Uh, Chris Bassett, I suppose, has been a nice surprise for like a short amount of time. If the A's want to, to pull themselves out of this hole, they definitely need to go out and get some pitching because the hitting, you can kind of wait for them to come around because they've, they've got a decent lineup here. But, um, but, I mean, it's just you can't say we're waiting on Mike Fires to return to form or revert to his best, you know what I mean? Because no. what is his best? He's... He had a he had a ridiculous run for them last year, but you know I think you can you can pretty safely chalk that up as an anomaly as opposed to you know what he can provide on you know on a regular basis every fifth day. No, yeah. so yeah, I mean maybe this is another time where they need to kind of go all in and get themselves a John Lester type piece like they did a number of years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am I am still stunned to see them at the bottom of that division. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd say there's time to time to turn around, and you know, a, a legitimate roadmap to turning it around too. We'll see if they do it. Well, I feel like they already know that about themselves, and they're trying to react to the exact thing you mentioned because on April 22nd they brought Chris Bassett as their starter. Because they knew they lacked in quality starters. Chris Bassett, obviously not a quality starter, as you would expect. But on his April 22nd uh, game, he pitched for five innings only, but only gave up two hits, four walks, and seven strikeouts. Didn't allow a single run. And then his second start on April 28th, he he went for seven strong, only allowing three hits, 
no walks, one earned run, and nine strikeouts. This guy, I mean, granted, we only have two games worth of uh, sample size, but this guy is posting numbers that could be the guy that the A's are looking for, the next Shamanea, per se, because Mike Fires. Uh, well, I mean, he's also 30, though. I don't, I don't really see him as a potential breakout candidate unless you know we got the second coming of Rich Hill here. I was just about to mention Rich Hill, yeah. Yeah, which I suppose you can never rule out, but you know that's not something you want to bank on as a team. I don't know if you're if you're talking if we're speculating about an aggressive move the A's could make. I do wonder, and this, you know, again, this goes back to how bad do the A's want it, right? How much, how badly do the does management want to make this team a contender? How truly all in do they want to go Mm. and that's always a question year to year with this team but if they do really want to you know make a deep run the postseason like they were talking about after the end of last year um i don't know someone i was thinking of was like why don't they go out and get bumgarner uh the giants like we said they stink right now no one's surprised that they stink um and they you know they have a very depleted farm system and really no real chance of competing now so they're they're almost certainly going to be sellers yeah. uh it's not it's not a tough move for Baumgartner. they're not he's not going to have to get a new place if he gets traded to Oakland <laughs> um true. and you know the A's have a, they have a farm system with the pieces uh to go go out and get him and all of a sudden you have a true bona fide ace at the top of your staff mm. with, you know, and one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Yeah. I think, I feel like he checks all the boxes. So it'll be interesting to see if they attempt, you know, a kind of aggressive move like that. Uh, if they truly see themselves as contenders. Yeah. But I also feel like they might be a little wary of it because they tried in that, tried that in 2014 with John Lester. Right. <laughs> that didn't go well. Right, it didn't go well, but I mean, at a certain point, though, you know, you got you got to go for it. You know, it's like I don't I don't think anyone looks back at that John Lester trade and goes, "Oh, damn, I wish the A's had never done that." Hmm. Um, you know, it it didn't work out in the end, but you know, sometimes that just happens. Sometimes you get a piece that makes sense, and he seems like the finishing piece, the guy who can kind of push you over the top. Yeah, uh, and and Lester pitched well. For the A's, just you know, he had just a terrible, not the wild card game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just one game where it kind of all melted down. And if you go out and get someone like Bumgarner, it could still happen. But odds of Madison Bumgarner melting down in a wild card game, I don't know. I oh. I would put my money on that not happening. You I know, would put my his money track on record. that too. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. exactly. So, so I I don't know. I actually just thought of this on the spot, but I'm talking myself into it now. If it really feels like a, a perfect fit. Really? Madison Bumgarner and Green? Yeah, oh. I, sh- I should pitch this to the NBC Bay Area office. <laughs> so would, you say, would you say then that the Oakland A's are the team that might make a surprise playoff run? Because from, from you, it sounds like it wouldn't even be a surprise if the A's made it into the playoffs from how you're talking about it. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be a surprise. If they made a playoff run, that would be very surprising, I think, given the strength of the American League. Um, mm. But to see him in the wild card game again, to see them possibly win the wild card game and get a shot the, at the division series, I could see it. Why not? Yeah, I was going to say, um, 
if I had to pick one team to make the surprise playoff run, it would be the Oakland Athletics as well. I feel like they're just one or two great pitching away from being a quality team, just as you mentioned. Um, I don't know if you've noticed their new newcomer, uh, Laureano, in the Oakland Bays. Oh, yeah. Have you? That guy is a monster. Oh, yeah, of course. You can't yeah. not. Listen, I have seen some I mean, great center fielding in my short life, but the top used to be Jackie Bradley Jr., and I thought no center fielder can defend or throw a better cannon than Jackie Bradley Jr. until I saw Laureano do Aaron Hicks stuff. would like to have a word with you. No, shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Aaron Hicks is also Yeah, no, great. but I mean, I mean, definitely Ramon Laureano. Laureano's a guy who, I, yeah, I don't, the, some of the stuff he does, um, even in that one series early in the season against the Red Sox, I mean the stuff he does. It's I don't think that's I gold can't glove think of the worthy. Last guy either, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that yeah, that's obvious. And it's the question now. I think is is his glove transcendent? Is mm. is Loriano? If he can stick in the major leagues in general, obviously, if he's a productive enough hitter, um, then the question is: Is he going to be a guy that people talk about? for a long time generationally you know i mean yeah he you know what he reminds me of he reminds me of jock peterson when he first came up jock peterson that's an interesting comparison because when he first came up he he showed some great uh center fielding uh antics uh, out in the outfield and he was also known for crushing the ball laureano obviously not a home run hitter as great as jock peterson but i remember when i saw him I thought to myself, either this guy is going to stick around very long because he's a great, he's going to be a star, or this is, as you said, uh, not a transcendent piece of work that I'm seeing. And I feel I like mean, I'm I, seeing similar stuff from Laureano, the similar vibes. I, I say. mean, I, I just, I never got the impression that Peterson was an elite fielder when he came up. I mean, I was thinking like Jim Edmonds or something, you know, like someone who, huh. you know, hopefully. I mean, Jim Edmonds obviously was also a phenomenal hitter. Whether Loriano develops into that, mm. I think, is debatable, and we won't really know. But his glove, I mean, it seems already like he's one, one of the best in the business. Mm. Um, you know, I think, yeah, whether, whether his bat comes around or not. I mean, like, if you think about another guy I was thinking of... Um, wouldn't be in the same level because he never really had the arm. It was more about him making spectacular catches. Uh-huh. But a guy like Sam Fold, who oh. people were talking about for a little okay. bit, um, because he was he was making these insane plays in the field. Uh, he was never much of a hitter, so obviously he was out of the league. He had like a relatively lengthy major league career, considering the skill set he brought to the table. Yeah. But um, obviously he he didn't end up sticking in for the long haul. But if Loriano can keep up kind of this uh i don't know i mean never before seen is hyperbolic but does feel like he's the best we've seen in a long time mm. um yeah and if he sticks and if he keeps it up and if his bat develops then yeah i mean this this could be a guy who is a menace in the field who, you know the kind of guy who you like man now, now i just can't there's definitely an example like this that Oh, like, I mean, to a certain degree, like Puig, you know, like not that, you know, Puig doesn't cover the ground that Laureano does, but it's one of those things where like, if there's a man on third, less than two out, there's a fly ball to like straightaway center field. All of a sudden you're wondering, like, do you run on this guy? Like, 
it takes balls to run on this guy. Yeah, you, even you, though for tw- yeah, even even if like ninety nine out of a hundred other center fielders, like you're tagging up, no question, this guy's cannon like makes you think. Yeah, makes you wonder. It it really makes you second guess whether <laughs> this is gonna be a sack fly or just an out. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you yeah. The question is, are you about to run yourself into a double play? Exactly. It's a, suddenly it becomes a high risk situation. Okay, uh, why don't we move into the fantasy portion of our podcast? Yeah, um, let's do it. Yeah, uh, who to pick up is always the question we ask in fantasy baseball. Who is the next star who can make our team a better roster? Who do you have? The one guy you would recommend. Who who do you think people should pick up this week? Well, for me, it's not a new star. In fact, this is a a star who established himself last year and is having a terrible start this year. But oh. that might be your opportunity to buy low on him, uh, whether it's via trade or if he's been cut to the waiver wire. Um, to me, it's Jose Peraza. Jose I mean, Peraza of the Cincinnati Reds, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, he sec, he plays second base and shortstop. Um, um, he's had a terrible, terrible start to the season. Uh, he's hitting 200 now, which is an improvement, believe it or not. Uh, mm. He's been the 100s for most of the season, for most of the first month to date. Um, but last year, he hit 14 home runs, stole 23 bases, um, hit 288, was a solid middle infield option, you know, with lots of counting stats, uh, 85 runs. So this, and he, it was a breakout last year, and it's te- and he's doing. You know, he started terribly this year, but I think the stats you're looking at when trying to buy low on him. Well, first of all, the the stats that are bad is that he's striking out at almost twice the rate he was last year, and walking <laughs> at half the rate. So that's never something you want to see. Having said that, his his BABIP, so his batting average on balls in play, mm-hmm. uh, he, his BABIP last year was 307. His career average is 305, right? Which means 30% of the balls he hits into play generally result in hits. Um, but this year, it's only 233. Um, oh, yikes. And obviously, yeah, and obviously with a lower batting average, uh, the odds of you ha- having a worse BABIP are, are higher. Having said that, if you look at his profile, um, you know, he's not doing, he's striking out more, but honestly, his profile is not drastically different. He's hitting more fly balls, which probably doesn't help since he's a speed guy. Mm. Uh, so in order to get on base, he probably wants to leg out more and field singles and stuff like that. But in terms of hard contact, he's making a similar amount of hard contact as he has throughout his career. He's hitting to all fields like he always does. Um, and he in, in recent games, he's had a few very hard hit balls. Um, I'm not guaranteeing a turnaround here, but I think there's ev- everything in his profile so far this year indicates that it could be just you know a little beginning of the season funk that he could be snapping out of you know a guy like him who can give you double digit home runs and close to 30 steals uh that's a valuable commodity and i think it's it's worth taking a flyer on that to see to see if he can put it back together okay and that's that's fair because he he definitely is easy to get right now in any league i feel like anyone would be willing to give him away from what he's his, his uh, early season antics. So it might be providing a lot of value for him. Um, so who I have down for today, this week is Danny Santana. Have you heard of him, Oliver? 
Uh, Texas, right? Texas, second baseman. Uh, well, at least he has uh, second base eligibility. He's kind of playing around the around the diamond right now. But yeah, he's he's been incredible. Uh, the The Rangers are kind of um, they're not plagued with injury as the Yankees are, but thanks to some injuries, Santana is able to get some starts. And ever since he did, he's had m- multiple uh, multi-hit games. We're talking three hits um, in three of his last 10 games and he's not only that he's also hit two homers in that span he's given the rangers a lot of runs um and he's also provided five stolen bases on the season so far this means he can give you runs hits um i don't know about the homers this might just be a fluke but with hits comes ribbies and he has the legs for stolen bases. He's an every, he can fill your category everywhere is what I'm seeing. He's hitting 355 in the for an average so far. Some people fear that his value would um, plummet down once the injured players. I don't, I'm not exactly sure who's injured, but once the uh, injured comes back, that Danny Santana is uh, going to be on the bench again. But if he keeps hitting like this, there's, he's definitely going to be on the batting order some way one way or another and i don't see this guy cooling down anytime soon um so i feel like he's a good low buy and if he cools down where if if texas decides to bench him then you can drop him easily uh he's a very low risk guy can pick up for a high value uh for short term that's the bottom line which you can of what you can have with danny santana yeah that's what makes sense i believe I believe the guy on the DL for the Rangers is Odor, who has not been lighting up this season in the first place. Yeah, so, like, obviously Odor has a higher pedigree, a higher paycheck, um, but, you know, if Danny Santana is the real deal, then I don't necessarily think that they would be, you know, clamoring to play Odor over him. Um, You know, word of caution, uh, Danny Santana... His BABIP is 442 this year, which means it's, you know, almost half the balls he puts in play are going for hits. That's more than 100 points above his career average. So you you have to expect, I mean, obviously, I mean, you don't need to know that Danny Santana is not a 355 hitter. So, you know, obviously expect a little bit of regression in terms of the average. He's striking out a lot. He doesn't walk much. Having said that, he's hitting... 39.1% of balls hard. He's making hard contact on 39.1% of of swings or of, of the contact he makes 39.1% is hard, which I believe, yeah, I forgot what the exact number is, but it's like over 96 miles an hour exit velocity or something like that. Um, 39.1% hard contact, 39.1% medium contact. So that means that almost 80% of his contact is medium to hard. He's hitting more fly balls. So this this could be a guy, obviously, Jimmy, like you said, he has speed, and you wonder if his power will last. And that is a legitimate question, but he could be another one of those guys who, you know, kind of cashes in on the launch angle revolution, turns himself into a bit of a more uppercut power hitter. And, you know, like you, like you said, Jimmy, he has versatility, and especially in a middle infield position, a uh, power and speed combo is, is incredible value. And it is low risk, so why not take a flyer? I'd agree with that. Yeah, 
Thanks, man. <laughs> what do you have on your list to trade? Uh, well, this will be the last topic we talk about. Yeah. Okay. So the trade away. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I think when it comes to selling, it's always about you know who is doing well right now that might not keep up their performance, but you might get a good offer for right now for your fantasy baseball team. So these are got I I pick two guys who you might not really want to trade and I wouldn't blame you if you didn't but you might want to just think about it if you get an offer that's hard to hard to turn down um so the first guy I have is Will Smith um because I know firsthand and I'm sure plenty of other fantasy owners would agree with me it's it's a tough life trying to hunt down saves uh you know I mean as the owner of Jose Leclerc in both my leagues this year like I know firsthand it's just not a fun ride, uh, you know, when when your relievers stink. And Will Smith is the opposite of that. Um, you know, he has great numbers this year, at, as he's done for most of his career, uh, 3.09 ERA. Uh, he's already gotten seven saves. Um, and, you know, altogether, all just not a guy, you know, just your typical stud closer who isn't necessarily a household name, but on your fantasy team, absolute workhorse, uh, a guy of incredible value. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, but something you always have to think about with closers, especially closers on bad teams is kind of the July, you know, the trade deadline closer carousel. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. Yeah, and yeah. obviously we're a long way from July right now. But that also means that his value is probably at its highest right now. So, and I think with the Giants the way they are and with Will Smith being a lefty, uh, there are going to be plenty of contenders who are going to be interested in making calls to Farhan Zaidi about this guy. Uh, And I would be shocked if Will Smith was still a Giant uh, come August 1st. So I think... This is a time where if, if you can afford to or if you can get another closer back in return as part of the deal um, who has possibly more, more long-term job security, it's worth parting with Will Smith um, because, you know, it's just he's fantastic, so you're probably going to get a good offer for him. But if you're looking, if you're looking long-term and you think your team's going to make the playoffs, Will Smith might not be there to help you out come September. Right. Yeah, that's fair. You, I still remember having a Joaquin Soria on my team about two huh. seasons ago. And then he was, uh, yeah, because he was the Tigers' closer then. Right. But then he got traded to the Royals, I think. And then he suddenly became like a setup man. He was horrible. And that definitely deflated my fantasy value. So I see where you're going at it with Will Smith on this. Um, you also had someone else on your trading block, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, sticking in the NL West. Uh, but flipping to the Giants' rivals, uh, I got Hyunjin Ryu, who obviously, as Koreans, we both love him dearly. Um, having said that, and again, just like Will Smith, there is nothing to dislike about this guy. He's honestly, over the whenever he's been healthy enough to pitch in the major leagues, he's been one of the best pitchers in the league. I don't even think that's hyperbole. I think he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball when healthy enough to pitch. But there's the rub, right? I mean, that's that's always the question mark with Ryu. And it's like, 
I, I can't think of many players with a bigger injury question mark overall in his career than Ryu because this guy Rich Hill right but at least Rich Hill honestly like <laughs> Rich Hill just he's had like blister issues and stuff like that so it's like all year he's like skipping starts and whatnot Ryu has been kept out with significant injuries for months yeah months of time for most years of his career so I think what you gotta do I mean actually last year I had a trade in in my league where I was trading for Ryu and it was all set to like it was accepted and then Ryu suffered that gnarly groin injury where like the groin muscle fell off his bone or whatever and then obviously yeah my commissioner was kind enough to cancel that trade so I didn't end up with with a hobbled guy on my team but um (laughs) but yeah so I mean that happened last year that happens most years I mean he hasn't the most innings he's ever pitched in his major league career in one season is 192 that was his rookie year in 2013 then he had 152 innings the year after that and then since then he hasn't come close to 150 innings he pitched 126 and two-thirds in 2017 he missed all of 20 uh he missed all of 2015 most of almost all of 2016 and a huge chunk of last season, obviously. So this guy is in his, I believe it's the seventh big league year, and he's pitched arguably like two, maybe three complete seasons in the big leagues, oh, yikes, you yeah. know, added together. <laughs> so, and who knows, maybe this is, this is a year where he finally stays healthy, just like his rookie season. Uh, He's not particularly old. He's 32, so he's not young, but he's not old. So, you know, um, it's not out of the question that this is finally the year um, that he stays in the rotation. Um, but I just, I don't know. It, with, with him pitching the way he is, because he's on fire right now, I think it might be worth testing the waters uh, to see if you can get kind of you know like a top five pitcher type value for him if someone if someone wants him badly enough to give you a trade offer that on par with something you'd get for a guy like Furlander or Scherzer or DeGrom Cole like if you can get and that might be stretching it a little bit but if you can get anywhere near that value I think I think you got to pull the trigger who knows you might end up regretting it later in the season because it turns out he didn't get hurt but that's just not what the track record suggests so I'd you know, by the law of averages, I would recommend selling. Um, and, and yeah, look, yeah. listen, if yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say, um, honestly, s- similar logic, uh, would apply to Clayton Kershaw. Um, hmm. but yeah, these are, again, these are suggestions where you might want to test the waters to see what kind of ridiculous offer you might be able to drum up for these guys. I'm not saying get them off your team because you know, it's going to be bad. Like you could keep, <laughs> you could keep both Will Smith and Ryu and obviously Kershaw on your team the entire year. And you might end up, you know, it might end up being that's fine. Yeah. Fantastic. But you know, just potential red flags down the road. It's just all I'm pointing out. Yeah, it's true. And just to add on to that, you did hit the DL already this year once with the same growing injury, but oh, right. yeah, to, I forgot to be fair, that. Yeah, he did. But to be fair, um, it was before the injury really hit him. He just felt something a little right. funny, very slightly, told the coaches immediately, the staff, that he yeah. felt something. That's why he took just 10 days. Right, I think he only to, missed to one start, right? Yeah. yeah, he only missed one start. He came back very strong. 
Um, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the Dodgers offered him a one-year contract. So he's really got to show everything he's got this year, prove that he's healthy and that he's good. And I feel like that's why this season he's going to try all he, all the best he can to hit that 200 inning mark. So I think I'm just talking from uh, the pers- perspective of a guy who owns Ryu. And that's <laughs> why I'm never going to trade him. I just, uh, when you factor those into uh, perspective, I feel like Ryu's definitely not going to miss a lot of um, a lot of starts. That's what I'm saying. Well, you know, I hope you're right. But, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're right. But uh, <laughs> thank you. we shall see. But I will say, though, if, if my fantasy team was very short on starters, quality pitching, and if someone offered me Ryu, I would consider some really ridiculous deals. I would think about as high as maybe second draft pick. <laughs> to go for you because you know some people in a very shallow league uh it's nowhere very deep leagues uh it's just hard to find quality pitching sometimes and Ryu's the kind of guy who's giving up max two runs per game and striking out about seven per, seven a game getting wins all the time what's not to what's not so great about this guy so i get what you're saying though oliver yeah, um, you know what, Jimmy? I don't appreciate the underhanded shots you're taking at my team. I have plenty of <laughs> pitching. Thank you very much. Well, well, the the underhanded shots are coming because you offered me a trade recently that would involve you taking Ryu. And I saw what you had to offer and I thought, "No, Ryu's a monster. I don't I don't think any of this uh pars up with um what you had to offer, but I will say and this is who I had up on the trading block. You also had AJ Minter on that deal uh, that you wanted to take from me alongside Ryu. And that's what got me thinking because AJ Minter, um, this is obviously, well, if you don't know that you should trade away Minter or do something about this guy or that he has an expiry date, you are, I don't know, man, maybe you should drop the fantasy game. and <laughs> Because this guy has an ERA of, what is it? 8.38 a whip that's almost at 2 this guy has th- has only 3 saves even after the lord helped him with opportunities of making a Vizcaino get injured he's he's everything less than a closer and the Braves are shying away from giving him a chance I think the, he's only a closer because there's no one else better and that says a lot about the Braves bullpen. But the fact that he is a closer, and that he, had done, he will somehow get save opportunities for the time being, makes him of value. And I feel like even if you weren't to get very good deals out of this guy, some teams are desperate for closers. And I feel like you can make some kind of a deal out of trading Mentor um, away and getting something or anything really back back from this deal aside from just dropping this guy that's why i put him up in the training block because he's a little um too much value to just drop but he's too little value to keep on your team at the moment um so i feel like you should try to get any kind of value you can before Vizcaino returns before uh <laughs> before the braves takes um anyone else and assigns them the closer because at this point really any other bullpen guy could take his role you know, be I'll, I'll bite on that I'll, I'll take the opposite end because i if i could chuck in an extra an extra man into my buy section i might actually want to buy minter 
this might be the start of a, a, a trade negotiation on this podcast. But, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, to me, so like the biggest key for me that you just mentioned, Jimmy, was that he's the closer right now because the Braves don't have anyone better, right? And mm. and that's a legitimate reason to think that someone sucks. But from a fantasy perspective, it's also a legitimate reason to think that, hey, this might be a guy worth keeping because, yes, the Braves don't have anyone better. They could go out and sign Kimbrell, maybe. They could trade for a closer before the deadline, and perhaps they will. Mm -hmm. But if you can get Minter at a bargain price right now, which you probably could because he actually stinks, like he his ERA is in the eights, you can't, you can't <laughs> get around that. Um, but if you can essentially get him for free, he might not – be a bad guy to pursue because look there's like again can't emphasize it enough the Braves have no better options in their bullpen Minter's only 20 Minter's only 25 he has a good two-pitch mix he was he was really good last season um and the peripherals around mm -hmm. Minter aren't good but they aren't as horrific as you know his baseline stats make him out to be look he's He's still his strikeout yeah. rate is still very high. The problem is that his walk rate is insane. He's walking way too many guys, um, and he's getting some bad luck on balls yeah. in play. His BABIP is three eighty five. That's also because he's giving up fifty percent hard contact. So guys are smoking the ball off of him. Um, so there's a lot to dislike about his profile, but I think there's enough there where again, for the right price, it might not be bad to take a flyer on this guy ahead of like say you know, some of the committees that are forming, you know, like maybe in Tampa, the whole thing. Yeah. Like the twins, the twins, Tampa. I mean, Seattle, uh, Anaheim. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily saying I would 100% take Minter over those guys, but I think there's, there's a chance, there's a legitimate chance that Minter kind of puts it together. And at least until July actually be, remains the Braves like go to closer. There's a chance, and I think that exactly. there are a number of teams who are kind of locked into committees, um, and it might be worth taking a chance on Minter uh, to run away with the closer role. You know, it again if you don't have to give up. Too I will much. tell you that yeah, I will tell you that I'm only having AJ Minter and I'm keeping him on the team this long because not to brag, but my pitching staff is pretty awesome, and I feel like even if AJ Minter does blow up. All the other starters that I have on the team will cover him up with the low ERAs, and AJ Minter still gives me the save value. So that's the only reason why I still kept him. And if your fantasy team does not have uh, guys at par, it's it's the um, both spectrums really. Either you have such great pitching that you can take the AJ Minter risk; he's great, or your pitching sucks so much. Yeah, that it couldn't possibly <laughs> that get him any worse. blowing up yeah. <laughs> would really not matter. Yeah, would really not matter. Maybe adding him to the to the team would only provide yeah, more but, value. But like, but like you All said, right. Jimmy, well, on the flip side of that, you if you're if you're an AJ Minter owner and you can find a guy like me and or a team like mine that's desperate, you know, and could really use a closer and might take Minter off your hands for you know above market market value, then sell. And thanks for joining us today on, <laughs> on the Two Seamer podcast. <laughs> no, I, yeah, actually, I will seriously consider that. 
I will go on your team as soon as this podcast is over and see what you have to offer. This is, um, we're, we'll go into a room and we'll talk about this. But, but for the time being, uh, thanks for joining us on the first episode of Two Seamer. Um, hope you enjoyed what we had to offer and got some value out of it. Um, I was Jimmy Shin and... Oh, is this my... Okay. I'm Oliver John. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's our first take on the show. On the show. Give us a break. Uh, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Yeah, sounds good, Jimmy. It was a, had a great time. <laughs>